Chapter 15 of The House on the Borderland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winteroud. The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson. Chapter 15 The Noise in the Night. And now I come to the strangest of all the strange happenings that have befallen me in this house of mysteries. It occurred quite lately, within the month, and I have little doubt but what I saw was in reality the end of all things. However, to my story. I do not know how it is, but up to the present I have never been able to write these things down directly they happened. It is as though I have to wait a time, recovering my just balance and digesting, as it were, the things I have heard or seen. No doubt this is as it should be, for by waiting I see the incidents more truly, and write of them in a calmer and more judicial frame of mind. This, by the way. It is now the end of November. My story relates to what happened in the first week of the month. It was night, about eleven o'clock. Pepper and I kept one another company in the study, that great old room of mine, where I read and work. I was reading, curiously enough, the Bible. I have begun in these later days, to take a growing interest in that great and ancient book. Suddenly a distinct tremor shook the house, and there came a faint and distant whirring buzz that grew rapidly into a far-muffled screaming. It reminded me, in a queer, gigantic way, of the noise that a clock makes when the catch is released and it is allowed to run down. The sound appeared to come from some remote height, somewhere up in the night. There was no repetition of the shock. I looked across at Pepper. He was sleeping peacefully. Gradually the whirring noise decreased, and there came a long silence. All at once a glow lit up the end window, which protrudes far out from the side of the house, so that from it one may look both east and west. I felt puzzled, and after a moment's hesitation walked across the room and pulled aside the blind. As I did so, I saw the sun rise from behind the horizon. It rose with a steady, perceptible movement. I could see it travel upward. In a minute, it seemed, it had reached the tops of the trees through which I had watched it. Up, up, it was broad daylight now. Behind me, I was conscious of a sharp, mosquito-like buzzing. I glanced round and knew that it came from the clock. Even as I looked, it marked off an hour. The minute hand was moving round the dial, faster than an ordinary second hand. The hour hand moved quickly from space to space. I had a numb sense of astonishment. A moment later, so it seemed, the two candles went out almost together. I turned swiftly back to the window, for I had seen the shadow of the window frames traveling across the floor towards me as though a great lamp had been carried up past the window. I saw now that the sun had risen high into the heavens and was still visibly moving. It passed above the house with an extraordinary sailing kind of motion. As the window came into shadow, I saw another extraordinary thing. The fine weather clouds were not passing easily across the sky. They were scampering, as though a hundred-mile-an-hour wind blew. As they passed, they changed their shapes a thousand times a minute, as though writhing with a strange life, and so were gone. And presently others came, and whisked away likewise. To the west, I saw the sun drop with an incredible smooth, swift motion. 
Eastward, the shadows of every seen thing crept toward the coming grayness. And the movement of the shadows was visible to me, a stealthy writhing creep of the shadows of the wind-stirred trees. It was a strange sight. Quickly the room began to darken. The sun slid down to the horizon, and seemed, as it were, to disappear from my sight almost with a jerk. Through the grayness of the swift evening, I saw the silver crescent of the moon falling out of the southern sky toward the west. The evening seemed to merge into an almost instant night. Above me, the many constellations passed in a strange, noiseless circling, westward. The moon fell through the last thousand fathoms of the night gulf, and there was only the starlight. About this time the buzzing in the corner ceased, telling me that the clock had run down. A few minutes passed, and I saw the eastward sky lighten. A gray, sullen morning spread through all the darkness, and hid the march of the stars. Overhead there moved, with a heavy, everlasting rolling, a vast, seamless sky of gray clouds. A cloud sky that would have seemed motionless through all the length of an ordinary earth day. The sun was hidden from me, but from moment to moment the world would brighten and darken, brighten and darken, between waves of subtle light and shadow. The light shifted ever westward, and the night fell upon the earth. A vast rain seemed to come with it, and a wind of most extraordinary loudness, as though the howling of a night-long gale were packed into the space of no more than a minute. The noise passed almost immediately, and the clouds broke, so that once more I could see the sky. The stars were flying westward with astounding speed. It came to me now, for the first time, that, though the noise of the wind had passed, yet a constant blurred sound was in my ears. Now that I noticed it, I was aware that it had been with me all the time. It was the world noise. And then, even as I grasped at so much comprehension, there came the eastward light. No more than a few heartbeats, and the sun rose swiftly. Through the trees I saw it, and then it was above the trees. Up, up it soared, and all the world was light. It passed with a swift, steady swing to its highest altitude, and fell thence. Westward, I saw the day roll visibly over my head. A few light clouds flittered northward and vanished. The sun went down with one swift, clear plunge, and there was about me for a few seconds the darker, growing gray of the gloaming. Southward and westward, the moon was sinking rapidly. The night had come already. A minute it seemed, and the moon fell those remaining fathoms of dark sky. Another minute or so, and the eastward sky glowed with the coming dawn. The sun leapt upon me with a frightening abruptness, and soared ever more swiftly towards the zenith. Then suddenly, a fresh thing came to my sight. A black thundercloud rushed up out of the south, and seemed to leap all the arc of the sky in a single instant. As it came, I saw that its advancing edge flapped, like a monstrous black cloth in the heaven, twirling and undulating rapidly, with a horrid suggestiveness. In an instant, all the air was full of rain, and a hundred lightning flashes seemed to flood downward, as it were in one great shower. In the same second of time, the world noise was drowned in the roar of the wind, and then my ears ached under the stunning impact of the thunder. And in the midst of this storm, the night came, and then, within the space of another minute, the storm had passed, 
and there was only the constant blur of the world noise on my hearing. Overhead, the stars were gliding quickly westward, and something, mayhaps the particular speed to which they had attained, brought home to me for the first time a keen realization of the knowledge that it was the world that revolved. I seemed to see suddenly the world, a vast dark mass, revolving visibly against the stars. The dawn and the sun seemed to come together, so greatly had the speed of this world revolution increased. The sun drove up in one long, steady curve, passed its highest point, and swept down into the western sky and disappeared. I was scarcely conscious of evening, so brief was it. Then I was watching the flying constellations and the westward hastening moon. In but a space of seconds, so it seemed, it was sliding swiftly downward through the night blue, and then was gone, and almost directly came the morning. And now there seemed to come a strange acceleration. The sun made one clean, clear sweep through the sky, and disappeared behind the westward horizon, and the night came and went with a like haste. As the succeeding day opened and closed upon the world, I was aware of a sweat of snow suddenly upon the earth. The night came, and almost immediately the day. In the brief leap of the sun, I saw that the snow had vanished, and then once more it was night. Thus matters were, and, even after the many incredible things that I have seen, I experienced all the time a most profound awe. To see the sun rise and set, within a space of time to be measured by seconds, to watch, after a little, the moon leap, a pale and ever-growing orb, up into the night sky and glide with a strange swiftness through the vast arc of blue, and presently to see the sun follow springing out of the eastern sky as though in chase, and then again the night, with a swift and ghostly passing of starry constellations, was all too much to view believingly. Yet so it was, the day slipping from dawn to dusk, and the night sliding swiftly in the day, ever rapidly and more rapidly. The last three passages of the sun had shown me a snow-covered earth, which at night had seemed, for a few seconds, incredibly weird under the fast-shifting light of the soaring and falling moon. Now, however, for a little space, the sky was hidden by a sea of swaying leaden-white clouds, which lightened and blackened alternately with the passage of day and night. The clouds rippled and vanished, and there was once more before me the vision of the rapidly leaping sun and nights that came and went like shadows. Faster and faster spun the world. And now each day and night was completed within the space of but a few seconds, and still the speed increased. It was a little later that I noticed that the sun had begun to have the suspicion of a trail of fire behind it. This was due, evidently, to the speed at which it apparently traversed the heavens. And as the days sped, each one quicker than the last, the sun began to assume the appearance of a vast flaming comet flaring across the sky at short periodic intervals. At night, the moon presented, with a much greater truth, a comet-like aspect, a pale and singularly clear fast-traveling shape of fire, trailing streaks of cold flame. The stars showed now merely as fine hairs of fire against the dark. Once I turned from the window and glanced at Pepper. In the flash of a day, I saw that he slept quietly, and I moved once more to my watching. The sun was now bursting up from the eastern horizon like a stupendous rocket, 
seeming to occupy no more than a second or two in hurtling from east to west. I could no longer perceive the passage of clouds across the sky, which seemed to have darkened somewhat. The brief nights appeared to have lost the proper darkness of night, so that the hair-like fire of the flying stars showed but dimly. As the speed increased, the sun began to sway very slowly in the sky, from south to north, and then slowly again from north to south. So, amid a strange confusion of mind, the hours passed. All this while had Pepper slept. Presently, feeling lonely and distraught, I called to him softly, but he took no notice. Again I called, raising my voice slightly. Still he moved not. I walked over to where he lay, and touched him with my foot to rouse him. At the action, gentle though it was, he fell to pieces. That is what happened. He literally and actually crumbled into a moldering heap of bones and dust. For the space of perhaps a minute, I stared down at the shapeless heap that had once been Pepper. I stood feeling stunned. What can have happened? I asked myself, not at once grasping the grim significance of that little hill of ash. Then, as I stirred the heap with my foot, it occurred to me that this could only happen in a great space of time, years and years. Outside, the weaving, fluttering light held the world. Inside, I stood, trying to understand what it meant, what that little pile of dust and dry bones on the carpet meant, but I could not think coherently. I glanced away, round the room, and now, for the first time, noticed how dusty and old the place looked. Dust and dirt everywhere, piled in little heaps in the corners, and spread about upon the furniture. The very carpet itself was invisible beneath a coating of the same all-pervading material. As I walked, little clouds of the stuff rose up from under my footsteps and assailed my nostrils with a dry, bitter odor that made me wheeze huskily. Suddenly, as my glance fell again upon Pepper's remains, I stood still and gave voice to my confusion, questioning aloud whether the years were indeed passing, whether this, which I had taken to be a form of vision, was in truth a reality. I paused. A new thought had struck me. Quickly, but with steps which, for the first time I noticed, tottered, I went across the room to the great pier-glass and looked in. It was too covered with grime to give back any reflection, and with trembling hands I began to rub off the dirt. Presently I could see myself. The thought that had come to me was confirmed. Instead of the great hale man, who scarcely looked fifty, I was looking at a bent, decrepit man, whose shoulders stooped, and whose face was wrinkled with the years of a century. The hair, which a few short hours ago had been nearly coal-black, was now silvery white. Only the eyes were bright. Gradually I traced in that ancient man a faint resemblance to myself of other days. I turned away and tottered to the window. I knew now that I was old, and the knowledge seemed to confirm my trembling walk. For a little space I stared moodily out into the blurred vista of changeful landscape. Even in that short time a year passed, and with a petulant gesture I left the window. As I did so, I noticed that my hand shook with the palsy of old age, and a short sob choked its way through my lips. For a little while I paced, tremulously, between the window and the table. My gaze wandered hither and thither uneasily. How dilapidated the room was! 
Everywhere lay the thick dust, thick, sleepy, and black. The fender was a shape of rust. The chains that held the brass clock weights had rusted through long ago, and now the weights lay on the floor beneath, themselves two cones of verdigris. As I glanced about, it seemed to me that I could see the very furniture of the room rotting and decaying before my eyes. Nor was this fancy on my part, for all at once the bookshelf along the side wall collapsed with a cracking and rending of rotten wood, precipitating its contents upon the floor and filling the room with a smother of dusty atoms. How tired I felt! As I walked, it seemed that I could hear my dry joints creak and crack at every step. I wondered about my sister. Was she dead as well as Pepper? All had happened so quickly and suddenly. This must be, indeed, the beginning of the end of all things. It occurred to me to go to look for her, but I felt too weary. And then she had been so queer about these happenings of late. Of late! I repeated the words and laughed feebly, mirthlessly, as the realization was borne in upon me that I spoke of a time half a century agone. Half a century! It might have been twice as long. I moved slowly to the window and looked out once more across the world. I can best describe the passage of day and night at this period as a sort of gigantic, ponderous flicker. Moment by moment, the acceleration of time continued, so that at nights now I saw the moon only as a swaying trail of palish fire that varied from a mere line of light to a nebulous path and then dwindled again, disappearing periodically. The flicker of the days and nights quickened. The days had grown perceptibly darker, and a queer quality of dusk lay, as it were, in the atmosphere. The nights were so much lighter that the stars were scarcely to be seen, saving here and there an occasional hair-like line of fire that seemed to sway a little with the moon. Quicker and ever quicker ran the flicker of day and night, and suddenly, it seemed, I was aware that the flicker had died out, and instead there reigned a comparatively steady light, which was shed upon all the world from an eternal river of flame that swung up and down, north and south, in stupendous mighty swings. The sky was now grown very much darker, and there was in the blue of it a heavy gloom, as though a vast blackness peered through it on the earth. Yet there was in it also a strange and awful clearness and emptiness. Periodically, I had glimpses of a ghostly track of fire that swayed thin and darkly toward the sun-stream, vanished and reappeared. It was the scarcely visible moon-stream. Looking out at the landscape, I was conscious again of a blurring sort of flitter that came either from the light of the ponderous swinging sun-stream or was the result of the incredibly rapid changes of the earth's surface. And every few moments, so it seemed, the snow would lie suddenly upon the world and vanish as abruptly, as though an invisible giant flitted a white sheet off and on the earth. Time fled, and the weariness that was mine grew insupportable. I turned from the window and walked once across the room, the heavy dust deadening the sound of my footsteps. Each step that I took seemed a greater effort than the one before. An intolerable ache knew me in every joint and limb as I trod my way, with a weary uncertainty. By the opposite wall, I came to a weak pause, and wondered dimly what was my intent. 
I looked to my left and saw my old chair. The thought of sitting in it brought a faint sense of comfort to my bewildered wretchedness. Yet because I was so weary and old and tired, I would scarcely brace my mind to do anything but stand, and wish myself past those few yards. I rocked as I stood. The floor even seemed a place for rest, but the dust lay so thick and sleepy and black. I turned with a great effort of will, and made toward my chair. I reached it, with a groan of thankfulness, I sat down. Everything about me appeared to be growing dim. It was all so strange and unthought of. Last night, I was a comparatively strong, though elderly man, and now, only a few hours later, I looked at the little dust heap that had once been Pepper. Hours, and I laughed, a feeble, bitter laugh, a shrill, cackling laugh that shocked my dimming senses. For a while I must have dozed. Then I opened my eyes with a start. Somewhere across the room there had been a muffled noise of something falling. I looked and saw vaguely a cloud of dust hovering above a pile of debris. Near the door something else tumbled with a crash. It was one of the cupboards, but I was tired and took little notice. I closed my eyes and sat there in a state of drowsy semi-unconsciousness. Once or twice as though coming through thick mists, I heard noises faintly. Then I must have slept. End of chapter 15 Recording by Alan Winteroud BoomCoach.blogspot.com